Hi there, Duncan Green here with the weekly roundup of posts on From Poverty to Power. I'm sitting in Ghent, an incredibly beautiful uh, Belgian city where I'm going to be spending the weekend. I had a book launch yesterday um, and I'm working here today. Uh, shame it's going to be raining all weekend, but I still think it's going to be good. Okay. Um, so first up, we had the standard Monday links I liked. The one that caught my eye this week was a proposal for team-based PhDs. And this is, you know, sometimes it feels to me like PhDs are some bizarre uh, initiation rite which um, young people are forced to undergo at enormous personal and emotional cost. Um, and it teaches you the whole sort of assumption behind a PhD is that of the sort of the loneliness of the long-distance scholar. It's somebody working on their own, going slightly bonkers um, for years and years and years. And that's just not how people work in, in most walks of life. So the idea of, of doing a team-based PhD seems remarkably sensible. Um, there'd obviously be some sort of you know logistical difficulties. What if one person of the team drops out on this kind of question? But surely it's worth thinking about. Um, Tuesday uh, was more or less the second anniversary of uh, How Change Happens being published, and this week was also International Open Access Week. So I wrote something about the sales figures and the impact of the book being open access, because we went, we had a sort of competition for publishers and said, if we don't bother to take royalties, would you be prepared to publish uh, as open access? And Oxford University Press said, yes, we'll give it a go. And they've been favorably impressed. So the figures are that in the first two years, they've sold 9,000 copies, but there have been 70,000 readers. So you know, for every one copy you sell, either as a book or as an e-book, uh, you get seven readers online reading the PDF or reading on Google Books. And they reckon 9,000 is a decent return. So they think enough people have um, read the PDF or read it on Google and then decided to buy the book to outweigh the people who've not bought the book because it was free online. Um, year two, I've also got the figures separate for year two, and that what seems to be happening there is a shift towards online reading, presumably because it's harder to find in bookshops in the second year, but also I imagine because it's starting to get onto book, uh, university courses and students are happier to read things on the screen and don't have the money to buy books. But we'll see. The, um, the paperback only came out in May, so that might change the figures for, for year three. But anyway, the whole push for open access, I think, is, a, is, a, is a incredibly worthwhile. I refuse to link to any gated journals and papers. I think we should all be just ignoring those kind of money gouging operations and pushing for open access wherever possible. On Wednesday, uh, I summarized, I've been doing a lot of blogging workshops recently, one at Global Witness, one at Oxfam Novib, one at the Institute for Social Studies in The Hague. So I pulled together some of the, the notes from those sessions and put together some tips for better blogging. Um, the, the workshops are fun because I, basically because I don't have to do too much talking. I do a little sort of half hour introduction, but then what we do is a surgery. So each person in the workshop brings a draft post. Everybody in the workshop reads it for five minutes. We then discuss it for 10 minutes and then we move on to the next one. They're quite exhausting, but people get a lot out of actually discussing their own posts rather than just having a sort of abstract teaching session. Um, David Hudson reckons that the tips for blogging pretty much apply to other kinds of writing as well. He tweeted something about, you know, uh, academics should be looking at these kind of 
uh, writing guidelines. And I found some amazing collection of writing guidelines from sort of John Steinbeck, Jack Kerouac, Susan Sontag. So there are lots and lots of sort of, if you want to get better at writing, there's lots of things out there. Thursday, uh, two researchers from UN Women, Shara Razavi and Silke Staub, got laid into the World Development Report from the World Bank. So this year's World Development Report is on the future of work, um, you know, nominally looking at the impact of artificial intelligence uh, and robotics and discussing the future of labour. Uh, I think it's weak for all sorts of reasons. I've blogged a bit about it in the past and that it's far too sort of dismissive of the worry that these kind of new technologies will massively displace labour and we aren't at all clear what will replace those jobs. Um, the trade unions have got very upset about the, the, the push for deregulation, which is in the report and sort of yeah, the, the, the short, uh, yeah, the very little interest in trade union rights. But Shara and Silke have another different bone to pick, which is that the WDR is just totally gender blind and ignores vast amounts of scholarship on women in the workforce, the care economy, women and social protection, and they just go through it, itemising all the things that the WDR should have talked about and didn't. Um, overall, it feels a bit like the WDR this year is a throwback to the bad old days, um, and this is the point Shara and Silke make, the bad old days of you know deregulation, um, gender blindness. This is um, it's, it's a shame because it's such an important topic, and I wish they'd done a better job. And then on Friday, I did a bit of self-indulgence, really, which is <clears throat> I have sort of certain stories which anybody who's heard me speak will be sick to death of um, about stories of change which had a big impact on me. One of those was the Chiquitano Indians in Bolivia, where I spent some time back in 2006. And, and they started it started me thinking about all the interacting elements that come together to trigger social change. If you keep repeating these stories long enough, you start to wonder whether they're actually true. You think, well, maybe I've just made all this up. So when I was in Mexico recently, I bumped into Simon Ticehurst, who's an Oxfam lifer, who um, uh, was actually in Bolivia and, and did the first grants for our support for the Chiquitanos. And so I, I grabbed him and did a quick, short podcast, 13-minute podcast, just to get his re recollections of, of that story. And I was very relieved to hear that I'm pretty much on the right track. Um, the, 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 the story is as good as, it, uh, as, I, as, uh, as I thought. In particular, he filled in this thing about the mobile workshops. So when we did an evaluation on uh, the project, the evaluator said, what are all these mobile workshops? And according to Simon, the only way we could support these incredibly long marches from Chiquitania, where the Chiquitanas live, all the way up to the capital at La Paz, was to say, well, we can't support a march, that's far too political, but what we can do is support a workshop halfway there, and obviously we'll support the cost of uh, getting the people there, and then we'll support another workshop, um, yeah, three quarters of the way there, and obviously we'll support the travel costs there, and hey presto, we had a mobile workshop program which was very helpful to the Chiquitanos in their organisation. So on that slightly whimsical note, have a good weekend everybody, and I'll see you next week.